tuning into the latest episode of the Canadian RegTech Association's podcast series, RegTech Roundup. The title of this episode today is called Build versus Buy and the Role of the API. My name is Paul McCrory and I'm going to be your host today. Just a bit of background, I work for a top five Canadian bank focused in the area of cap markets and wealth technologies. I've been around regulatory change initiatives for a long time. For those of you who don't know, the Canadian RegTech Association we are a non-for-profit organization focused on solving regulatory challenges through collaborative efforts between regtech stakeholders, which include regulated entities, technology vendors, and regulatory bodies. Today, we're going to walk through one of my favorite discussions, I think. We keep coming back to it time and time again, the decision-making um, process kind of that surrounds the idea of building uh, specific tech solutions to service your business. You build them in-house as distinct from purchasing and perhaps tailoring a solution from someone else, multitude of vendors. The decision, as you'd expect, is a layered and complex one. And uh, joining us today are two you know, really well-seasoned experts, Blythe Barber and Lauren Schwartz. Um, stick around and listen to these two guys kind of focus in on solutions um, from a broader perspective and then really get into the focus on APIs and raise some items, you know, some positives, maybe some risks that you've been considered before. A quick background on both these guys. Lauren runs a regulatory technology uh, component of CIBC. He's responsible for making regulatory technology investment decisions across a portfolio of applications and services uh, to solve a wide range of problems and needs. Lauren has over 20 years experience in capital markets technology. Blythe Barber works for a company called Droit, D-R-O-I-T. He's head of business development there. Previously, Blythe spearheaded new business development as a commercial partner at Catalyst. Prior to that, Blythe was a managing director of the RegTech company called JWG. He was a director at Expand Research, managing principal at Capco, which followed after six years of trading fixed income. Um, guys, again, thanks so much for joining me today. Um, I was hoping maybe we start off with you, Lauren. Let's talk kind of broadly on the build versus buy discussion. Uh, maybe you can give us some of your feedback there, and then we can focus deeper in the APIs as we get further in. Okay. Um, yeah, happy to happy to try to take on that that question. Uh, I mean, it's a it's certainly a um, an involved decision. Um, there usually isn't a you know prescribed solution. Um, in each case, we do need to evaluate our our options. Uh, we also need to start off with evaluating well what what is the problem right that we're trying to solve. Um, and is is the problem simple? Is it complex? Um, what's involved in it, and how uh, also you know how mature are um, our solutions out there in the market for to solve the the, the particular problem? Um, and we've been in you know we've been in a number of different situations uh, where in certain cases, especially with a very complex problem and with not a lot of maturity in the market, it really does make a lot of sense to build your own solution that is custom tailored to, to um, your particular environment versus buying and trying to uh, implement a solution um, from a vendor. 
um, you know, oftentimes the vendors, especially and again in the, in an immature space, um, the vendors are are learning as they go, uh, as is everybody in the in the industry. Um, so it makes a lot of sense to hold that IP in house. Uh, other situations where you know the uh, the problem space is potentially a lot simpler or or more well understood, or again, you know, we're we're talking about you know much more mature solutions that have been battle tested uh, across the industry and across time, then in those cases, it, it may make a lot more sense, certainly from a capital and time perspective to, to look at purchasing and implementing an, a vendor solution, uh, as opposed to, uh, to try to take on that challenge from scratch. Uh, so it really kind of depends on the situation and it really depends on the, uh, the problem at hand. Um, but uh, that's, that's really kind of the, the the major heuristics that you know I and, and others use to help make that decision um, in large firms when looking at new solutions. Mm-hmm. So I appreciate you saying. And and for Blythe, I know you and Lauren are kind of in the same space from a regulatory perspective, a reg tech perspective. Um, I'm curious to know what your opinion on or uh, with Draw, and you know, first maybe give us a little bit of uh, a rundown of what Draw does and uh, your contention from a from a purchasing uh, versus building in-house perspective. Yeah, thanks, Paul. Um, yeah, so I head up business development at a company called Dwyer. We're a technology company that automates decision-making in either real-time trading, compliance, or operation systems in an auditable, traceable manner. So our whole view is around clients acting right with confidence. We're about 10 years old to uh, Lauren's maturity perspective, um, and we've got offices New York, London, Singapore, Australia. Main clients, tier one, tier two investment banks, and some of the biggest wealth and uh, wealth managers and asset managements on the planet. Um, our platform, if you're not familiar with it, uh, it's called Adept, and effectively at its core is a decision service plugged into existing infrastructure at an API level, making millions and millions of decision, mission critical decisions on behalf of clients every day. So high volume, low latency, cross region, um, across regulatory rules, internal rules, and market infrastructure rules. And all of the decisions are effectively visualized and you can see the logic path of the independent transaction path that they took. And then by temporarily, what would that be now? And it's all linked to a digitized version of the text, the pin site of that text, be that a legal rule or an internal rule. That's effectively where, uh, where do I fit? Um, I've spent many years kind of in, in this space and also recommended technology to banks. So hopefully uh, some of the stuff I'm saying will resonate with, uh, with Lauren. Um, in terms of the the, the sort of the, the buy versus build dilemma, so think of about a few things, right? The economics at the moment. So from a, a cost perspective and a change of the regulatory pressure, um, the sophistication of the regulator, the intrusiveness of those audits and the, uh, the skills that they have, right? Um, you're looking at the changing winds of the markets as well. So first of all, sort of assessing the cost. So if you're building, obviously, have you got the right internal resources, um, the licenses, external teams, how do you pull that together? If you're buying, again, what does that implementation cost look like? You've got to be careful for the ongoing costs, and you've also got to think about the professional services, right? Uh, certain firms uh, sell a lot of professional services around it. Um, then it's cost to BAU. So actually, longer term, what, what is this going to look like? To, to Lauren's point, around like the complexity and the maturity of the problem. What is this going to look like in two or three years? Um, and then the cost of change around that and the budgetary con- constraints that I mentioned. Um, I guess 
duplication. So thinking around what's the risk of an of an internal build? Are you going to replicate any of the work? Have you got to multiply that across different product lines or asset classes? Um, and where does that expertise kind of truly lie? I think for me, again, from an external consulting back from over the years, it's been like, what are the business priorities? So Lauren mentioned like, is is it something difficult? Is it fairly simple? How much control do you want around that? Um, is there a benefit to building? Right? Is is this something we really need to build ourselves? Are we going to gain any competitive advantage around doing it? Are we going into new markets? Is it changing the operating model? Right? Have we got new locations? All of those complexities and business sizing issues. Um, so in terms of kind of with that scene being set, then looking at how do I future proof my estate? Right. So I'm trying to make a lot of people at the moment, the market's going towards from the sort of tier one, tier two market around how do I make the estate more modular so I can plug pieces in, I can take bits out using best of breed technology where I can, and also getting some cost certainty around that. Um, one thing that we we bring as a firm and definitely part of the benefit of within the industry is around market consensus. Are these things that you benefit from building yourself or actually one, is there a benefit to sort of piggybacking being in the herd mentality of the regulatory rules? Um, I think my final pieces around this is around like vendors are typically pretty good at what they do, right? At the element that we do, we think we are extremely good at it and that's all we do. So kind of you have other pieces. It's like what is core to the ranking space? What is core to your technology estate? Um, and, and where are the benefits to work together, right? All of these sort of implementations and, and tech processes should never be kind of disappearing at the point of delivery. It should be something that we work towards uh, improving. And obviously with the reg agenda, all of the rewrites coming, um, it's definitely that partner approach benefits. Um, I guess that's my two pence worth, but Paul, from your experience, right? You've worked within the market space. Um, how does that, differ from a sort of buy versus build approach now uh, within the wealth space? Nobody ever asks me, Blythe. Nobody ever asks me questions, so I appreciate uh, you asking. So yeah, I have worked at the big five Canadian bank, and I've come from the capital markets tech space and now into the wealth space, as you've alluded to. And I think it's interesting that you talk about um, expertise and costs, you know, from the cap market space and complexity of the problem, I think, is where my... Um, viewpoint was like where we were in the cap market space using kind of more IP and building very tailored approaches for derivative models and different solutions <clears throat> with pricing, et cetera. That seemed to make a lot more sense um, to build it in-house. CIBC has uh, an internal derivatives trading app, um, platform, which is like world-class. Um, and that seems to make a lot of sense there. I, I expected the same kind of attitude in the wealth space, um, but I've met with a different um, scenario i think people are you know the product complexity is a little bit lower uh, the mature products are much more mature equities funds uh, some very simple fx and it seems to me that um the consensus is that it makes more sense to buy an off-the-shelf product uh, from a large global firm um, to deliver those there's not as much tailoring um so again it's depending on the complexity of the problem so it seems to be the most um relevant kind of decision maker and plus things are so plugged in it takes a long time to unplug you know you touched on something interesting about regulatory and i want to go back to lauren on this one because like mm -hmm. you got this back and forth you know you i imagine you're nimble you're able you know to be able to if you're doing an in-house build you can make changes quickly you have the, you have some expertise in-house but where does that touch in terms of the market consensus you know from a regulatory perspective um 
from building in-house, do you find that that's kind of risky or um, that you maybe might be going off the beaten path of the rest of the, the firms? Um, so, you know, that's a really good question. Um, and staying on top of market consensus is, is something that happens um, fairly regularly through just through your, the peer and our peer networks and in discussions with, with a variety of different um, uh, through the different industry working groups and, and the like. So very often we, we, and there's a lot of information sharing happening across the industry. Um, so while at face value, it, it certainly would sound like that that's, that's a risk, you know, if you're, you certainly don't want to be veering far off of what the industry is, is doing, um, and what the, what the regulators are expecting. Um, but at least in the, in this space, in the capital markets, regulatory environment, <clears throat> what we found is that the industry tends to, you know, share a lot of information and that allows everybody to come up with more or less the same build um in this particular space you know when you know what kind of kicked this all off was the uh, the dodd frank rules and then you know all the um other rules across g20 um what we've also seen is that there's been a lot of flux in the regulations themselves so while um the you know that certainly vendors like Dwa and others have come up in the market and are starting to mature. It's been a it's been in the entire space is under a lot of flux, um, meaning that there's regardless of whether it's a build versus buy solution, there there remains a very high uh, degree of change that firms reporting firms must must accept and must be ready to to test mm -hmm. so even if it's a um even if it's a vendor solution we would be forced to test and retest and retest uh multiple times a year for the past decade at least and given where we're going with the number of rewrites real rewrites that are slated on the market today it's it's not going to stop anytime soon so there's still a very so like large there's still a very large workforce that you need to maintain just mm -hmm. to uh, keep up with the pace of change and to accept it because at the end of the day, it's not the vendor that is liable for reporting accuracy. It's, it is the reporting firm. And uh, there's, there's lots of changes that are, that are happening that as a reporting firm, we would have to accept and the only way to accept it is by through testing. Mm -hmm. So it's it's like you still have to do the testing. That testing team has to stay no matter what. And it's whether yeah, or not exactly. you do development in-house or you let somebody else do it and deliver. Um, yeah, and, and that also means that you know you, you have to have a lot of subject matter expertise. And and mm -hmm. and this is this is a big fight in the industry, is the fight for talent, the fight for resources, it doesn't go away just because you bought a solution. You still mm -hmm. need the people that know the regulations, know the solution space, know the, the product uh, to be able to say whether something is right or wrong. Otherwise, you, uh, um, you tend to uh, make a lot of mistakes. Yeah, good thing. So, yeah. I, th I think just to add to that as well, it's around control, right? It's, mm -hmm. you, are, you are completely right, Lauren, in terms of liability. But it's how, like, from, from our, our perspective, it's 
how do you get consensus around the rules, right? So that you are one, you're in that pack. But the other part is the that you're not black box. So when we were updating those regulations and kind of obviously with CFTC rewrite last year, you're delivering those rules as early as humanly possible, right? So you have the data model, you are doing the mapping, you have questions that you can come back to us with, right? It's it's de-risking that program. So yeah, you will always have to maintain some of the resource on your side, but you're eliminating some of the cost around kind of legal and compliance and you're enabling people to, with tools to, to make it easier to sign rules off, be that compliance, legal and operations. Mm. That's where we sort of see that. It sounds like a good blend. I mean, it's a balance. This obviously it's not a it's not a cut and dry situation for sure from a decision perspective. Uh, the, one other thing I want to talk to you, now that I have you both here is like the role of APIs and how do they play a role in strategic development? Like you know, there's uh, we've talked about digital transformation. So maybe Lauren, can you talk about you know the role in APIs and how you see them going forward? And then maybe Blythe, conversely, can you can talk maybe some of the risks that will come up as well? And we'll start with Lauren and all the good stuff though. Yeah, so APIs are, they are a great, you know, tool here to effectively de-risk a lot of implementations and and a lot of solutions. And especially in a market that is this complex and talking about capital markets in particular and other, other spaces as well, I'm sure in the wealth space, there's a lot of good use cases for APIs. Uh, but it's, I find, especially in capital markets, the need for good, well-thought-out APIs is it's only growing. Um, so the demand for it is, is only growing because what it effectively allows us to do is to look at the solution space uh, to the problem in a more granular way. And we can then ask those kind of build versus buy questions that we were, you know, we were talking about before at a, at a lower level. Instead of saying, okay, you know what, I'm going to buy package A because it's got it's got the one thing I need, but it's it's uh, it's got nine other things I don't need, but it's the best at that one thing. Now we can say, well, no, we don't want to buy package A and pay that price, that very large sum. We just want to find one solution that just does the one thing that we need, and plug it into our architecture. Um, in a much more discrete fashion and allow it to do its thing. Um, and for the other you know, nine things that we don't need, we can continue to use our other solutions or and maybe in an ideal state, maybe not. Um, we have all those 10 things as separate APIs and maybe they're separate solutions. Some of them might be in-house, some of them might be um, um, external. Uh, and it really depends, but it allows us to have a lot more choice in the matter, um, be a lot more explicit about it, and to control risks around um, around the the just the keeping the the environment running smoothly, and um, and just taking on what we need as opposed to having to buy a whole package that may or may not really suit our needs. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What do you think, Blythe? I mean, like, it sounds like it's, it's, a, it's the best of both worlds. You can kind of tailor your solution in if you need to. But is it all positives? Like, or are there, what about some risks from the API side? Definitely some risks. I think just to add there, right, um, in terms of the roles played, you're looking at transitionary periods, 
um, the way mm -hmm. that you can run new processes in parallel to existing systems, right? While upgrading. So that, that's got a huge benefit, right? Making the estate, again, modular API based. So you can mix and match for, for different internal components and make it as modular as you can. Um, and you can build microservices around it. So I think kind of in, in, in terms of fixing problems, right? And what are you going after? You can probably provide 80% of the value with 20% of the cost of a full transformation, right? That's absolutely beneficial. Um, in terms of risks, of, of course, right? So bits around, I guess, uh, availability, latency, and data sensitivity, right? So addressed by um, DR uh, redundancy for availability, co-location, and hybrid clouds. If you look at other pieces around um, changing data requirements, right? There's always going to be external sources of, of change for data requirements. So be that regulatory asks, specs to different repositories, different protocols that are required. So staying on top of that is all, always going to be fairly difficult. But again, it's making it much, you, you've got to get control of that in your estate somehow. Um, I think understanding when these are changing, right? So if things, if specs are coming out, and I, and I said about regulatory spec uh, earlier, but as these specs are changing, understanding and getting ahead of it. So it's not black box. Actually, the teams can work on it. You can test a lot earlier. Um, I think engage, yeah, working with vendors, if you are going to use them around, you, you want to be as transparent as humanly possible, right? And take that element away. Um, I think data lineage, you've got to think around that, right? Hygienic case management systems, provenance, um, and the transformations. Um, make sure the mapping is transparent. Um, all of these pieces are like risks and ways around it. Um, and I think, again, probably to finalize there, the implement implementing controls back to the actual source systems, right? The standards around that, different sort of hub and spoke control center. Um, yeah, that's sort of the, the risks and the, the way that we, we would think about how do you get around it. Mm. It's really, it's not a black and white kind of piece, right? I think there's a lot to consider and usually at the end of this podcast, we do kind of a wrap up. What does it look like in the future? How do things change? And, and such. But for this, it's different. I think it's really, I appreciate the time with both of you to sit down and kind of discuss what needs to be thought of at the table and to scratch the surface in terms of, it's not a, yeah, it's not a binary decision or a binary path. I think a lot of this discussing about buying something, dropping it in and leaving it, or building everything from scratch. Um, it's a lot to think about. And I really appreciate having you both here. Um, yeah. Do you guys have any other questions or concerns, or if not, I really appreciate well, um, things. So much. One, one thing I would actually add to mm -hmm. to the risks around APIs mm -hmm. um, is around there. There is a a growing need for a stronger governance model mm -hmm. around APIs. Um, so if you think about you know taking that that example of a, a system that does ten things and bringing it down, now you have you know ten systems that do one thing. Um, and of course, governance on on ten systems is, is a lot different than governance on one system. Um, and so, in, in addition to to the points that Blythe made, there's also uh, a need to understand how this is going to um, change your governance model. Um, how much effort is involved there? Um, so, um, and what happens when a vendor, you know. Um, along the along the way, you know, either drops out or needs to be replaced, et cetera, and, and it it can it can be a you know, just as much of a job there. Uh, mm -hmm. Obviously, the the concerns are different, but um, 
you may have solved some problems, but now you you've all of a sudden created a need for to solve other problems. So that's another risk around uh, the proliferation of APIs. I think it's generally a good thing, but it, it will change how we manage a world of instead of you know a few big systems to potentially hundreds of APIs. Uh, it, it becomes a much different problem to solve. Guys, thanks so much. Really riveting conversation today. I really appreciate both of your points of view. And kind of funnily enough, they overlap quite a bit. Um, for everyone listening, thanks again for tuning in. Stay tuned for other podcasts, all available from the Reg Tech Association on your favorite podcast channel. Thanks again.